Welcome to Keepers of the Word. You're here with Mike and Ron, and we have Chad Keel with us, primitive skills expert. Um, he was on Naked and Afraid, and he does his own primitive skills workshops. So let's get into that. What is that? Well, I'm a primitive skills instructor. Um, I teach survival, but what kind of separates a primitive survivalist rather than just a survivalist is we survive more on our knowledge um, and the knowledge to create tools in the field and be able to thrive in the wilderness rather than just survive as long as your tools will last you in the field. Um, Survival nowadays has a more militaristic, can't even say that word right now, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Just starting out on the podcast, I'll get the terms, you know, come to me. But anyways, yeah, like, you know, a lot of, like, my brother was in the military, and he relied heavily on logistics and communications for survival. Um, A primitive skills expert knows how to identify maybe certain sticks in a survival situation that he can rub together and create fire rather than uh, the preparation of having a lighter in his pack. That could Uh, ultimately fail if it was wet or out of fluid. So it's kind of like John Rambo in a way? Yeah, I mean, I guess. But But so less having actual tools but creating your own tools based on what you're going to need from what you find in the wild. Exactly, exactly. And I've trained with lots of indigenous tribes around the world, and I'm just... In a lot of ways, a primitive skills expert preserves these indigenous skills that are being lost because a right. lot of these you know, tribes don't have written languages, things like this. So it's imperative that people you know, that have the same hobbies as me go out and train with these people, and then I ultimately pass them on to future and later generations. That's interesting that you say that they are taught by mouth to ear because within Freemasonry, that's definitely something that has been tradition within our craft is the mouth to ear and there's a certain there's a certain element that just keeps the purity of that within our within our fraternity how how do you see that applying within the tribes that use the mouth to ear of course i and i feel like it's very hard to really get all the lessons on the short duration that I'm with that tribe, maybe two weeks, and you'll find some of the the elders want to see certain life lessons play out in maybe a warrior or someone that's in the tribe before they're given other parts of the same lesson down the line. So um, I'm not that deep in my instruction. I try to be very straightforward and uh, (laughs) give you what you need right away rather than I'm going to let you suffer for five days first. You're going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But at the same time, I know there's little pieces that I am missing when I'm visiting a tribe because I'm not truly part of their culture and it would take years and years of personal relationships with these people before, you know, final lessons were passed down to me. How'd you get started in all this? Um, I got started, um, my father was an outdoors person, just a general outdoors person. Um, My parents kept our family close together by taking us outside, um, camping a lot and things like this, and I just feel like I went above and beyond what my parents could uh, teach me and started seeking out different instructors in the various fields that I wanted to learn. Hmm. So when you applied to go on Naked and Afraid, how were you feeling prior to, did you feel like, hey, I'm ready for this, this is, you know, this is going to be cool, or did you feel like, oh, this is going to be a super big challenge and I'm a bit afraid? Well, I was definitely, definitely nervous when I heard about the challenge. I had a kind of unique 
uh, way of registering, I guess, for Naked and Afraid, they actually came to me through my Instagram. Right. So I was really just really highly focused on creating content for a long period of time, like consistent free content, um, mm-hmm. just to really engage people on my social media platform. And, you know, it turns out a discovery producer or whatever was part of that following and reached out to me and asked me to go. Oh, that's and uh, was I afraid? Yeah, I knew it was going to be the biggest challenge of my life. Uh, both times definitely were. And I don't think you could ever really be ready for that. <laughs> to like flash back to 10,000 BC, you know what I mean? Right. And naked. Yeah, and especially like <laughs> having all the modern amenities and like everything that we have like here and then just whoop, you're like sleeping on the ground in Africa with hyenas trying to, you know, <laughs> Eat you. come through the acacia thorn perimeter. And it's like, you're not ready for that. But at the same time, it's an Indiana Jones adventure, and you'd have to be an idiot to say no to someone wanting to fly you around the world for free, you know? When you, <laughs> when you went through that first adventure, um, I know you got yourself into a little bit of, you got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel at that point? Was that something that you, where you're like, damn, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. and this would have cost me my life, mm-hmm. or shit, I, better luck next time? Yeah. Well, you know... Because I had a school and a nature school and I taught other people, I had this, like, a lot of my ego is involved in this mission. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like I needed to succeed in the show. That way, the business aspect of my life back home would do well. And when I got hurt, it was just, ah, it's just hard to, it's hard to explain, but you, you learn through your failures and you have to be a person that accepts failures right. and not, like, live in the Best past. Teacher. So, yeah, I feel like suffering and failures are some of the best teachers in life, and it just taught me so much I wouldn't change it at all. Um, But it it also let me know that, yeah, you know, I wasn't truly in the right mental space to be there at that that first time. When you were out there, did you see any crazy shit or, like, UFOs (laughs) you know, just just things that, that you're like, okay, wait a minute, what is that? Well, I mean, I have a restaurant called Bigfoot Bulls, so I might be a little biased. <laughs> I might be a little biased it's on the, okay. like, the mysticism aspect of it. Um, you know, on the first island that I survived on, it was a volcanic island, and they were telling us the whole time, it's a current volcano, it could erupt at any time. Even before I went out there, uh, I was staying in a hotel, and I was chilling with some, like, uh, I don't know, volcano scientists. <laughs> I don't even know what they would be called. That's fine. You know, they were telling me, they're telling me it's gonna, it's gonna erupt, bro. Why are you here? You know, why are you here? And I was just like, oh, I'm just here. I couldn't tell them I was on the show, so I had to just tell them, oh, I'm just here on vacation, just by yourself on an active volcanic island. What are you doing here, man? I'm a survivalist. They were that serious about it. So, your face. Anyway, so the whole time, you know, you hear it just rumbling and everything like that. It was a very powerful time to be suffering without food and water and just within sync of that energy of that volcano volcano you could you could feel it you know they picked the perfect place and time to put you guys through that uh because that's that's hell dude like imagine that you're you're chilling and oh by the way (laughs) uh volcano could blow up yeah run naked i don't think i was supposed to meet those scientists they were totally (laughs) separated from us uh another thing was kind of weird is a, a helicopter went over us a couple times and i think they thought we were like in need of rescue, just two naked people walking through the jungle on a volcano <laughs> island. So they're circling around us, coming down low and stuff, and the producers are just, like telling us to hide, 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 you know, because <laughs> they don't want to give away the location of the show yeah. for whatever reason. But right. uh, that was that was an awkward moment Whoa. for sure, you know. But, Any uh, other awkward moments? 
I mean, tons of awkward moments, <laughs> man. Because <laughs> you gotta go. You gotta. You know. You gotta. You gotta. You, they, obviously, they don't show you guys defecating or anything like that, but you have to. Right? Yeah, of course. So, how was that whole situation? Just oh, hey, man. I'm gonna go to the bush. Just stay over here <laughs> while you, I go over there. And... Well, let's tell you the true story about how I hurt my shoulder in that first episode. It has to do with defecating. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, this is what they don't show. Yeah, this this right. is what they don't tell you on the show. So I had to take, you know, my number two all night long, <laughs> extremely bad, extremely bad. And I was thinking, okay, as soon as the sun comes up, like I'm going, I'm going for it. And when you're surviving, obviously there was almonds and things like that all over the ground. So you have to hoof it a little bit to use the bathroom because we're eating resources that are like around right. our immediate yeah. camping area. <laughs> so uh, it rained all night. So I had hiked. I was hiking over to an area where I was going to use the restroom. And I stepped on an acacia thorn. Because it was like really weathery yeah. and stuff had dropped on our trail. So this thorn was, you know, had to be over an inch because it went straight into my heel and it tagged the bone and probably like curled, you know? Oh. And I just probably let out a shriek, ah! like, you know, <laughs> fell over the trail, did like a front roll, a very nice combative roll because I do jujitsu. Oh, okay. But so still, the, the fall, the, the fall yeah. was too intense and it hit that shoulder and that's what popped it out. So, oh. and I hadn't even made it, I hadn't even made it to take the number two yet. So I had to, like, before I had to get help, it was still there. That feeling was still there, like pain. So I had to, like, just squat it down right there, like, before the, yeah, before the extraction. So Suck it up, right? Yeah. That's the worst place to do that. Mm -hmm. Dude, I can't imagine just, fuck. Mm -hmm. That's some shit. So, (laughs) literally. (laughs) So going going back, so you went through that ordeal. You come home. your, Your girl's probably like, dude. What happened? And yeah. you guys go through the whole deal. Hey, guess what? I'm going back. How was that conversation? Well, yeah. So I came back, and obviously, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea how Discovery Channel edits their content. Right. Okay? So when I got back, even though I got hurt on day six or whatever it was in that episode, I don't even remember, um, I thought that I'd be edited like everything that I did out there would just be awesome. Like, yeah, they'd see me get hurt, but man, I did so much cool shit. I made friction fire. I did all this stuff. I was setting up traps. I was, I was feeding myself the whole time. There's, I built a badass shelter that was elevated off the ground. There's no way they can edit me to look, you know, any different than a badass hero out there. Uh-huh. And then I see the edit and I just totally look like a, a loser, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I had this like desire like, in my shoot. heart, like I have to go back. But I never let Discovery Channel or any of the producers know. And well, my know. wife and Helica was, you know, you're never going back in that show. You're never going back. Da, she da, got da, your da. Back. <clears throat> you know, yeah, she's got my back, of course. And then they called me again. But this time they called me, hey, somebody dropped out. Do you want to leave on Friday? It was like a Wednesday. Wow. Want to leave on Friday and go to Africa? You know, redeem Fuck yourself. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah, again, the ego. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, Lions. fucking let's go. You know what I mean? And wow. bam, now I'm in Africa. And, uh, yeah, and so what was that good. like? Oh, my gosh, man. So the jungles, nothing, nothing. I've been to, you know, Pakistan, uh, been to China, been to South America, been to West Indies. Nothing in the entire world can compare to Africa when it, in terms of survival. Um, it's just, it's the birthplace of humanity, you know, yeah. that's, and we were literally in that exact area where some of the oldest artifacts for, you know, humans, homo sapiens have been found. And that's literally where I had to survive. So it was like recreating that all again. 
And it took me, even as a primitive skills expert, six days to create fire in Africa, just because of the diversity of plants. A lot of the plants there, they're so hardy because they're growing in such an extreme environment that they have like an inner bark layer with like some sort of oil or membrane that protects the plant from like drying out in the sun from the extreme heat. So when you're rubbing the stick together to create the fire, it's like it never truly heats up to a point to produce an ember, you know, which is because very crucial. Yeah, this, the moisture in the plant, something, it was something. So it took me six days to figure that out. But for six days, I felt exactly what a human felt before fire, like pre-fire human. I had to live through that, where every night, you know, you're, you, you can't do anything in the nighttime. You're afraid of animals. You literally just have to bed down and just pray to God that you get through the night. And then after the sixth day when I created fire, you could leave that shelter door open. You could work all through the night because you have light. Animals don't come to you. The sense of confidence that came from fire. It's truly one of man's greatest inventions, you know, was, was fire. And uh, to harness that. So I went through six days of hell without it and then created the fire. And then it was just kind of like a whole new just experience. So I felt that evolution in one, like, mission, in one play-out trip. So how did you deal with the anxiety of the six days? I mean, because I, I would imagine that's a massive amount of anxiety to be. Yeah. I, and six days probably felt like a year it when did. you're trying to deal with <laughs> not getting was. eaten by a freaking wild animal mm-hmm. or, you know, not knowing what's going to come in the night. So yeah. how did you deal with the, how did you deal with it? It was, you know, it was all that that you just said, plus a, a partner saying, why didn't you bring a fire starter? <laughs> so it was both of those things put into one, and it was so extreme. And it was so hard to deal with. And um, the anxiety was absolutely just, like, de- debilitating, you know? Like, it almost, it, you're just sapped of all energy. I rubbed sticks together until my hands were literally just, like, just solid blisters all the way across the mm. palms right here. You know, and uh, but I just uh, one thing that I never did is I never lost faith in the ability that I was going to figure it out if I stayed consistent on mix matching different plants and materials. I knew that I could figure it out, um, and I just I truly I just never lost faith in myself, which was the only thing that got me through all just that pressure. Stay focused on the mm-hmm. on the task at hand. Yeah. I know because um, I did the Salcon Thai trek in uh, Peru. Yeah, and. I know that there was times that your mind just starts to mess with you. It's like it, it when the physical point when you get be past the physical point of you can't your body can't take it anymore. Your mind just starts to play that whole you can't do this. You're gonna die. You're you're mm-hmm. not. You can't go on. You can't do this. And then you take a break. You get some oxygen. You get some water. You get a little bit of a rejuvenation, and then you can go on some more. Is you know, do you do you experience the same types of things when you're uh, when you're doing your your travels and your? I, it's called type two fun. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's literally the definition of type two fun. Is like you're suffering in the moment and everything. You're like, I hate this. What the hell am I doing? Like my body can't do this anymore and everything. And then you get back home into this modern society. Beep beep. Traffic bills everything. And you're like, that time was the best time of my life. Mm-hmm. And you're like yelling at people. Can't wait till I get back to brew. You know what I mean? And everyone's just like, chill, bro. You know, I get it. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's that. So to be able to understand when you're in type 2 fun rather than true suffering is a great perspective to have. Because okay. I like to remind myself, like, I'll, I'll tap someone that's next to me, hey, man, type 2 fun, you know, to kind of <laughs> like, you know, 
lighten the mood. Yeah. Hey, we're suffering right now. This sucks, but man, it's type two fun. And when somebody says that to me, then I immediately go, man, yeah, this is great. This is something I'm going to, I know two months from now, gonna I'm going to want to be back here be again. the greatest memories. Yeah. So that, and then like Michael said earlier, uh, suffering's the greatest teacher. I, I actually wrote a book called Perspective Shift. And in that, it's one of the principles in the book is, you know, suffering is one of the greatest teachers. And did yeah. you feel spiritually you ascended in some sort of way going through these trials? Uh, yes. And I feel like the two naked and afraid episodes was the complete disintegration of my ego, you know, uh, and it, yes. it just played out in front of mass in front of the masses. You know, you just get to see like, just the disintegration of my ego. And then truly when the, the spirituality aspect of it, where I just started to realize who I am was my two, uh, survival workshops. I taught in Pakistan in 2018, 2019 in the high North areas of Pakistan. And that's where I truly, like I came home in a plane and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I, I recognized a physical, change in the way I looked in the mirror and I was finally at the first time in my life proud of my reflection if that makes any sense and I noticed it and it was something that I like I recall like a changing moment in my life and spiritual you said like a spiritualism or like some sort of like spiritual thing through nature I I, I just think it's becoming you know who you are it's right. very easy to find that in nature rather than can you find it in the modern society? Of course, but it's a lot easier in nature where it's silent and stillness and you're surrounded by things that have purpose. Right. And, you know, I have a lot of uh, success gurus that say, hey, you want to be successful, you get around successful people. But I'll tell you, if you want to find purpose, get around things that have never lost their purpose. Things like trees, things like rocks, things like water running down mm -hmm. a mountainside. Because that's what they were created to do, and they're still doing those things, you know? And it's yeah. like, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you want purpose, just go be around things that have purpose. It's the same thing a successful person will tell you, you know? So, of course, there's like a very deep side of, you know, being in nature alone. I think I noticed there's been a bit of a change in yourself from the, from the first time I met you till, like, now. I see, I see a completely different person, a more confident more uh, knowledgeable, more spiritual person going, because when you went through all, all that stuff, it, it does change you. I mean, mm -hmm. some people go on retreats and, and do psilocybin to reach those, and you did it with nature. You, mm -hmm. you went out and you found yourself, right? right? And I, I think a lot of people try to figure out ways to do that without nature, and I don't think you can do it. Like, it's, it's almost... It's almost impossible because you have to go back to the source of things with purpose, mm -hmm. right? And, and I kind of really connect with you on that. And mm -hmm. I think, you, you know, you, you did great things mm -hmm. and, you, and you made some good change. Um, as far as looking back at everything, what would you have done different? Uh, you know, I did a couple courses. They're called Master Field Courses with a man named David Holliday. He's in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like five or more days long where you would just walk through the desert with nothing but the clothes on your back. And I feel like if I could have went back and did more courses with Dave Holiday before going on Naked and Afraid, 
I would have had the mentality aspect that I needed to go on Naked and Afraid and be success, successful. Because it doesn't matter about the skills you have. Mm-hmm. It can, that will only help you thrive better. But thriving and surviving are two separate words, and they're two separate things, (laughs) right? So if you have all the skills in the world, of course, you're going to be, you could thrive out in nature. You know what I mean? But to survive, you have to have the right mentality. And I truly had all the skills in the world, but I didn't have the right mentality. And a man named David Holliday was the guy who was the wizard, he was the guru who actually, you know, put me and a team of other so-called experts through the shit, you know, in Utah, and really taught us how to have the right mentality for survival. And I feel like if I could do anything different, it would have been to train the brain, you know, rather than all the skills that I focused on. Right. You know what I mean? Because the panic part, that's, that plays a big part in anything that you do, right? Whether, mm-hmm. you know, in your, in your regular life uh, with technology. I mean, you, you went out into the darkness of, uh, with, well, obviously with a partner, but it's... It's something hard to really grasp until you're actually there. That's what I feel it's like. It's, we could all talk about it. You could give me the best, you know, this is what it's like. But until you're actually there, then you really, the fear will set in. Mm-hmm. And that's where I understand the whole afraid part because, I mean, hell, it's, you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and you're... At you're, the mercy of wild animals. Pretty much, and yeah. The elements and everything else. So mm-hmm. did you come back with any parasites or... <laughs> I did. I did. So I, it, unfortunately, I came back with a parasite after Africa uh, called Bellagia. But, you know, I, I can't give you an exact percentage, but, you know, over half of the percentage of the area where I was in South Africa, they live their whole entire life with this parasite because they don't have the, you know, the money to afford the medications to get rid of it. So they'll go on until, you know, some sort of other complication happens and they pass away or get super sick from it. Mm-hmm. So... But I was the only person in America with this parasite. So, of course, the CDC had to get involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, but you know what I mean? But it was actually from the freshwater snails in this. I had to drink because for six days, I told you, it took me six days uh, before I got fire. So six days of drinking water unboiled. There's that aspect mm-hmm. of and it, like too. And like you said, you didn't have tools, so you couldn't bring the no filtration tools, straws yes. or anything like that. And it was just a watering hole. No, no, no. A wallow watering hole where animals wallow. So oh, just, no. just imagine just a piss yellow. Uh, I'm looking for a color. Just a piss yellow, orange, uh, kind of green, too. Uh, imagine green, uh, yellow, and orange being one color. And you got to drink And it. you're drinking yeah, that you for six it. days. You're going to oh, get something. Yeah, you're so, going to get something. Yeah, so I kind of knew that was going to happen. Yeah, um, but you got to drink water. You know, they tell yeah. you three days without water in South Africa. That could be three hours, really, truthfully. Wow. You know, because of that amount of heat, you know, and exposure, it, it could be hours. It doesn't have to be days, you know. So. You do you do do your your own um, uh, courses out in Wrightwood, right? What do you yes. cover mostly when when you like? What is the most important thing that you feel you cover in those courses? The most important skill that you need to have, in my opinion, is the ability to make fire. You know, um, and I've had that proven to me multiple times. And this is a very hot debate amongst survivalists. <laughs> like, what is the most important skill? Is it shelter? Is it is it water? Is it navigation? So you're talking to one person with a perspective. 
who feels that it's fire. And I can tell you why. I've been out in blizzards with David Holliday in Utah where we're like, let's make, we got to make shelter, we got to make shelter. And he's like, no, stop. Creates a fire, and we just made it through a blizzard, literally while we're being snowed on, rained on, just being and next just being fire. next to the fire. Yeah. And we were all just steaming, evaporating while drying off, getting wet, evaporating. Everything was happening at one time. So you're just looking around, and everyone's just steaming, but we made it straight through a blizzard. So mm. the fire, in a way, was the shelter. So to me, yeah, what, what do we teach up there? Uh, friction fire. All primitive living skills from even, you know, making clay pottery, how to find and identify clay pottery, to making vessels, um, water purification, animal trapping, tracking, shelter building. Um, and then we also do three to five day, uh, we call them primitive walkabouts, where we take nothing but the clothes on our backs and we walk from Wrightwood to Glendora. And it's about 25, 30 miles that you'll cover during that three to five days. Wow. And you're only stopping when a resource presents itself. And <laughs> so it's a, it gives you a little bit of taste of Which you know, the naked and afraid or whatever, but it will give you that sense where you're going you're gonna to battle the mind. Yeah. You're going to battle the mind. And I feel like those courses are where students walk away just completely changed, completely changed. You know, it might be even a full physical, spiritual, you know, emotional change. Hmm. Yeah. So, but I would, I would definitely recommend, even though beginners can come on that course, I would recommend doing the skills courses first, getting some skills. That way you're, you're a valuable resource to the team you're surviving with over the three, five days and you're not a bag. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You're just wasting space. What are you doing? Exactly. Get up. Mm -hmm. So in, in all the, in all these experiences, um, what do you feel was the most important for you? Uh, you know, out of the survival experiences specifically, um, the most important is just, is just teaching me how to relate to all people um, and finding a medium that can be presented, you know, around the world regardless of culture um, or anything like that because you could trace any culture or any people back to the same primitive skills, you know, like making... We all do making, the same shit. We all yeah. do the same stuff. Yeah. We all rub sticks together. You know, we all made clothes out of, like, leather and fibers. You know, we were all protecting resources and building shelters and things like that. So when I've gone to Pakistan, South America, it didn't matter who I came into contact with. I just started showing them skills, and we were all brothers. We were all families. How was that experience being in Pakistan and, you know, talking to – you obviously don't speak the language, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or do you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry for just assuming. Yeah. But – um how was that experience, that particular place? Yeah, so um, just absolutely amazing. Um, how, did you, how did you go about doing that also? I, yeah. What brought up, I'm going to Pakistan? So, yeah, my, my family is very highly you know, involved in the military. And it was just a big no-no in a way, you know? That's where, that's where the terrorists are hiding out, you know what I mean? You know? Every time we're getting into firefights with them, they cross the border into Pakistan. So it was just like, it was this off-limits kind of area. That's where we got Osama bin Laden, man. You know what I mean? Like, don't go to Pakistan. And to me, it was just like... Pakistan. Pakistan. (laughs) To me, I just, I really wanted to like go and experience it and know firsthand in a way. Another thing was I knew in the bottom, in the pits of my heart that 
if you go there, you're going to discover humanity. If you go there as a true human, you know, a true human, that you're going to be able to bond with anyone there. And I knew I wasn't going to have problems, and I didn't. I never really did, truly, never mm-hmm. did. Because I went there with just a true open heart, you know. And I got there because I met multiple uh, geologists on Facebook pages through sharing videos. I started making geology videos. Like, I'm not a geologist. I would just, like, research, write a research paper on a certain mineral, go film the mineral, and then just talk about it. And then geologists start, hey, are you a geologist? I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, oh, my gosh, I love your stuff. You should come to Pakistan. And so I had multiple officers offers to go to Pakistan. But I knew I wasn't a geologist. And I knew I couldn't play that card. You know, So I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a survivalist. Go do survival I, I want to teach survival stuff. You guys set it up, and I'll come. Well, I ended up talking to some people who were, like, serious about it. They weren't, like, you know, messing around. They're like, dude, we'll, we're going to set it up. It's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> and, of course, Angelica, that's my wife, she was just like, no, you're not going to Pakistan. It's never gonna, they're never going to set it up. Next thing I know, all the logistics are in place. And they're tickets. like, let's go. You know? And everyone who was supposed to go with me bailed in 2018. Wow. So, so I had this, like, thing. Am I going to get on the plane? Am I just going to go by myself to Pakistan for, from some people I met on Facebook? <laughs> and just hope it all works out. That's you know what balls, I mean? Man. Like, it was scary. I flew into a freaking military base, bro. Look at the you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> got out and just get, you know, in a in the car with some random people. And it turned out to be some of the best people I've ever met in my life, you know? And we drove up north. I went up to the high north of Pakistan. I taught a workshop the first year to um, 40 people. And I think the first year, 15 of those were women, which is just remarkable. To Locals? have men and women to be in the same class, you know, no separation These local between people them. or from all over Pakistan. Okay. They were organized through different universities, and they all came. And uh, so, yeah, just the equality of women in our in our groups was just amazing. Uh, just the involvement in the the women and the men involvement, the working together was amazing. And yeah, so that was 2018, and then 2019, it even got bigger with like 60, 70 people coming. Wow to our workshops and what it is basically is it's about five to six days in the field where we're we have porters there's tents there's everything but we're just practicing skills friction fire um shelter building things like that and we're just out in this fourteen thousand feet in these beautiful mountains you know in pakistan that you'd never imagine are there but they're there you think that's something that they lack in 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 those areas where the, the people with primitive skill sets they don't ex- they don't really exist out there anymore because they're kind of veering away from them whether it's religion or, or whatever other purpose you feel that that's that's kind of the the scenario in that area so you you find a mix you find some of the skills I was showing them they had lost they had lost that already and they're replaced by modern inventions like friction fire to them they had no idea how they're people were producing fire without lighters or you know stone right. or steel they had no idea that history was just completely gone so there there could have been a specific way that they'd done it but i showed them hand drill bow drill and they were very pleased to learn about that and then there's other skills that were i'm showing them how to make a bow and arrow and they're like we do this every day our kids are <laughs> taught how you. to make bows <laughs> and they shoot birds in the trees it's like so they made they may have made a bow like better than me on a quick instant right so there's certain skills that were like i'm taking home from them and there's certain skills that they're taking home from me and that's what's so great is we're just we're just two people sharing skills not like you're an american i'm 
you know, you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim, or whatever. Yeah. Or you're a Western man, I'm an Eastern person. It's none of that. It's just we're sharing skills, we're swapping, and we're just, like, diving into our culture. And, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, be, I bet that must have been some really cool experience. Um, this, yeah. this ring right here, for instance, right, just to show you the generosity of the people in Pakistan. I got off, or I was on the plane flying into Pakistan. This man says, what are you doing here, man? You know, <laughs> I'm on the plane. I'm like the only American in 2018 going to Pakistan. This Where plane. are you like, from what again? What are you doing here, man? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Pakistan. I'm going to be teaching, you know. And I told him about the schools we're going to be teaching at and all this stuff. And uh, we talked for maybe 45 minutes. And then we got on the plane, or we landed. And then he just, I said, that's a nice ring. And he took it off. And he just put it on, put it on me. And he says, remember me. You know, I don't remember the guy's name. <laughs> I can barely recall what the guy's face looks like, but well, you remember that moment. I remember that moment, and yeah. it was like the generosity and like thank you for not believing the narrative and the you know everything that we that Western society spreads about our country. Thank you for coming here and finding out for yourself. That's what he gave me this ring for. He was like, thank you, and I truly got to discover that that yeah, like governments are always shitty, man. You know what I mean? But people are pretty much always good, you know? And that's that's what it comes down to. So of all the places that you've traveled and, and tribes and different things that you've done, do you have a favorite that uh, that you that always sticks with you? Something some place that just Yeah, of course. I I feel like it truly you could travel the whole world, but you're never gonna get a true a truer, more real experience than being with Dave Holiday. Out in Utah. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I could just one quick, for instance, we had uh, my brother and another, I think it was a sniper in the Army and the Special Forces, this very highly trained guy. They both got separated from the group for 26 hours in a blizzard. Wow. And uh, we thought they were going to die because it's already been three days without food, without water. So they were already at a point where they're very emancipated. And now they're lost in a blizzard. And David and the rest of our group, he said, light a fire right here. Let's light a huge fire. So we, we lit a big fire on David's command, wishes. And then he was like, we have to walk away from it. Let's go to the cave because we needed shelter. We were at a point where we were going to get hyperthermia. So we walked to the cave. And he said, leave the fire. Leave the fire. And me being from California, I'm like, leave a fire, bro. What are you talking about? We need to put this out. We need to make sure we <laughs> touch it. And there's like, there's no, yeah. Only you Look at my can prevent the bear hat, you know? Yeah. Like, that was just so odd to me, blizzard or not. You know, it's just I can't walk away from a fire, dude. But he told us, just walk away from the fire, man. Let's walk away. And and, and the point was that he told us, which I, I feel the feeling was this wasn't the true point, is if we got so cold before we got to the cave, we could retreat and make it back to this fire for safety. That's what he said. But that wasn't the truth. Because we made it to the cave easy. The truth was he knew that that fire was going to save my brother's life. Be a beacon. You know, and it was going to be a beacon for him to come back to. So they wandered around for hours and hours and hours in the blizzard. This is now their story, okay? They walked around for hours and hours and hours looking for us because we had separate ideas of where we were going. They were doing circles, and they were to the point where they were walking so that they didn't die of hyperthermia because if they just sat down, they were going to freeze yeah. to death, they were going to die. And they knew that, being instructors themselves. So they are just like, oh, got to keep going. You know, just like imagine the mental battle yeah. there. Ooh. You know what I mean? And uh, finally, one of them sees a little flicker of like, Spoke in light and was like, fire. They run over to the fire, but it's surrounded in snow, so they don't see any of our f- 
footprints, no tracks. So they're thinking a lightning bolt must have just struck the ground right here and started a fire. And like literally imagine you're at a point of hyperthermia. It's a blizzard. You've been lost for probably Mental at that point. Mental exhaustion. Yeah. And then you yeah. find a fire in the middle of the desert burning in the middle, while snow's coming down. Yeah. So they thought it was a Thor. straight God, <laughs> just God. miracle experience. <laughs> Right, and that even though my brother come to, came to find out that it was David, it didn't change the experience. That was even more like of a wizardy thing, you know. It was just like such a magical moment, you know, that it like changed my whole brother's life. He's not the same person anymore, you know what I mean? And uh, he he notices those signs now, is be, before like like omens in a way, you know, like. Um, you see certain things in nature, and it can mean totally. I see a leaf in a stream, means something to me, might not mean anything to you, right? It's because of the experiences that I've had in my entire life that have made that leaf mean something to me. You know what I mean? Maybe my dad always put a leaf in a stream and said, "Hey, whatever way it points, you go." Right? No, that never happened to you. So you see a leaf in a stream, you're like, "Fucking fell off a tree, dude." You know? To me, I'm like, "No, dude, my dad did this for hundreds of years. He died and." Or hundreds of years. How long has your dad lived? Right? <laughs> but damn, bro. But you know what I mean, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so I that's what omens are. They're like your whole experience led up to that moment, you know? Right. I was thinking so. when you were talking earlier about the just going out into wilderness for five days with just your, you know, the clothes on your back, is that you really have to pay attention to stuff. And now you're absolutely in the moment because if you have no physical tools and you're going to have to rely on everything around you, all of your senses have to be in tune mm-hmm. and be paying attention to everything. So, so true, so true. And I'm I'm not against uh, foraging human trash. So if we're on the trail and you see a water bottle, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> it's such a big deal, yeah. right? Yeah. So some people that find a water bottle water. on day one, they'll have that same water bottle by day five because it's just like, and it's so precious. Give me. And, and it's shared amongst <laughs> the whole group, you know. And what does that do? It's like, well, you don't sleep right next to a stream. You normally sleep away from a water. So you wake up in the middle of the night next to a fire because you're trying to stay warm and you're like so dehydrated. Your whole mouth, you have to walk all the way down to the stream. Well, now that you have a vessel, you can just, that's a modern (laughs) amenity (laughs) that you don't realize that's taken away from you when you're out there. So when you find something like a, a free vessel in the field, throwing out water bottle, you're like, Thank you. <laughs> That's the only time you'll be thankful for litter. Besides that, you know, you're like, come on, bro. Pick it up. <laughs> right. Well, this was, this was definitely an interesting episode. I, I had a lot of fun doing this. For sure. Do you have any questions for us? Well, I mean, this is... Why were you guys interested in, you know, nature and spiritualism for this podcast? Because I, I think they both go together. Yeah. Um, if you think about the, the things that you went through, there was something mentally that that had to go with the spirit. I think mentalism plays a big part in this, and spirituality is a big part of that. So in order for you to be successful and to even get on that plane and go, you had to have some type of internal spiritual change or shift. And again, going back to echoing what I, what I said, from the time I met you to now, I've noticed a huge change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're no longer the Chad Keel I knew that mm-hmm. way back when when I met you the first time. Mm-hmm. You're now you, you've you've earned your ranks and mm-hmm. you're in a, in a whole other area spiritually and mentally. So that's that's why I was interested in having this conversation. Mm-hmm. My draw is that I love the hero's journey. 
whether it be, you know, I ride motorcycles, I like to get on my bike and go 300 miles someplace and know that it's going to be hell sometimes and mm-hmm. you might break down somewhere or, you know, go out, going out in nature to have a, some kind of spiritual experience, whether it's with or without, you know, something that you take along to uh, assist that spiritual journey. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I'm, I'm always about the hero's journey and so the survival skills. And it's something that personally I would like to hone in myself because there's when I am out in nature, I like being in nature, but there's the fear factor of like nighttime is my biggest thing. And I'd really love to be able to get to the point where I don't have that fear anymore. I can know that if I was out someplace stuck, I could figure out how to, you know, how to get by, how to make it through and... How to make it through the night, especially. Big ass yeah. balls. Yeah, right. Big ass balls, this guy over here. But uh, to go I mean, through that shit, I mean. I feel like you could get in what, you know, some some amazing people have told me. And they're like, man, they, they noticed that maybe I had some in, insight from going through these different things in my life. And he said, why do you have to push yourself and put your body through all that stuff? You can have that same experience by sitting down and practicing breathing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can you can true. you can find the exact same experience from sitting down and practicing breathing. And at first I was like, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, but then I thought about it more and more and I'm like, you know what? You can. You know what you I mean? You can definitely. Um, but it kind of brings you back to the if you want to be around purposeful things, get around things that have never lost their purpose. I just say that it'd be a little bit easier and the suffering will be more condensed in nature when you truly go out there and you're just like Let's see how this works out. Um, that is going to give you, I feel like, more quicker. If you know, if yeah. you're looking for the shortcut, just walk out into nature naked, man. <laughs> but if you let go of that ego, if you got a lifetime, if you got a lifetime, then yeah, you could you could go about it lots of different ways. I practice martial arts. I feel like I get a very similar experience in the moments where I want to quit. Someone's on top of me. Uh, I do jujitsu, so we're wrestling. I'm in like some sort of horrible almost choke and i'm just like i just want to i start thinking oh just quit just tap you know just it's a bad day your body doesn't feel good uh you know just say you hurt yourself or whatever just tap you know so i feel like i go through the same thing every time i say no fuck that i ain't gonna tap you know what i mean it's my gym i'm gonna keep going and blah 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 blah. and i just and then and then it turns around and then you're the guy on top and then you get the arm bar but if you would have just tapped and gave it into the that dumb voice no. In your head, you know, that just wants to see you lose. You know what I mean? Just quit. That just like just quit. Yeah, just quit. That's very you know what I mean? So what you just said right now, that dumb voice that yeah. wants to see you lose. And I feel like so yeah, I feel like you get the same thing in martial arts, you get the same thing playing baseball, you get the same thing pretty much doing anything if you just follow your heart, because there's always gonna be people that say that you're doing the wrong thing, you're failing, you're not gonna make it. And when you persevere through that with consistency and discipline, you you know what I mean? Side. You get there, yeah. and then it's that type two fun. <laughs> <laughs> type to wrap two fun. it kind of all up. Yeah. Type you know two know I mean? fun. I like that. I like that that reference, type two fun. Mm-hmm. So how do people find Chad Keel? Where do they go get things? I know you do Elevate Jiu-Jitsu. You have Bigfoot Bowls, and you have your, your business. And, um, and nature and Connection. Nature, nature. So how do we find all those all those things? Oh, of course. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, you could find me on like Instagram and Facebook, Mr. Chad Keel. And that's Mr. Dot Chad Keel. Um, you can find me on YouTube, just see, searching Chad Keel. And Keel is K-E-E-L, like the bottom of a ship. It's going to keep you balanced right there. And 
yeah, uh, 11 Elevation Jiu-Jitsu in Wrightwood is my jiu-jitsu school. And then Bigfoot Bulls is my wife's, you know, restaurant, which is absolutely amazing. Taco eating contest on Saturday. I don't know how quick these guys put out their content. <laughs> but, hey, taco eating contest on Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a pleasure having you. We, we look forward Thank to more guys. later on down the line. Of course, I always want to say what's up to NoHo Lodge. Love you guys. Uh, want to say what's up to Ravens Rock. Same here. Yep. Um, and those, all those those, those those guys that do shout outs and shot shots out shots. <laughs> oh yes, of course. At refreshment, we definitely got to kick it someday. It's gonna happen. I know we've we've had this conversation. We're gonna figure it out. We're, we're, we we want to do a show with them. They want to do a show with us. I have a feeling it's just gonna be awesome. So we're gonna figure it out. I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna do it. And it's going to happen. And then first three knocks, always love you guys, love your content. And I always want to give you guys a shout out. So thank you very much and have a good one. Coming to you from the northeast corner. <laughs>